Father, we do desire to commit the riddles to you, the whole family, and the thoughts that they have concerning perhaps moving back, at least Douglas and his wife, and continue to sustain Joy as she plans to remain, at least for now. You've worked in them mightily in the past, and we trust that uh, you and your faithfulness will continue to minister in their lives. We praise you for that. This morning, we also desire that we would, in fact, be empowered by your word to uh, have a better understanding of the world around us, better understanding of ourselves, that we may be more effective in reaching a lost culture and a lost world. And we know that uh, this passage describes this culture as if Paul were writing yesterday. So we praise you for your word and its inspiration and fact that it is your word, and as a result, uh, it is timeless. So we commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of Romans, we've been noticing that in chapter 1, the passage could have been written, like we said yesterday, because it does, in fact, describe many aspects of our culture. And obviously, the book is not just written to the first century, but first century of Rome, where Paul desired to visit, but because of inspiration, it is also written to any culture, in any age, at any time, in any uh, nation, any place on the face of the earth. So there's application. Now, that's true of all of Scripture. Some passages seem to be closer to home than others, and I think Romans 1 is one of them. So it describes the nature of man, what we are like. And it's a great contrast in Romans 1 with what God wants to do in our lives and what he has done in many, but it's not automatic. It's not something that just happens if you trust in Christ. We need to renew our thinking, renew our minds, because we come from sinful backgrounds. So Paul begins his doctrinal portion in verse 18, after 17 verses of introduction. Man under God's wrath in the present tense sense. So there's a present tense sense in which you can see and observe the wrath of God every day all around you, in your friends, your neighbors, your work associates, fellow students, or whatever. Man is under the wrath of God because man is sinful, because man is unrighteous and ungodly, is what Romans 1.18 says. And that's in general, that's every single person that has ever walked the face of the earth. And the only escape Paul is going to lead to that in the book of Romans is what Jesus has done for us. So those that have not received Christ, this is the description of lost humanity. Now, you might say, why is mankind under wrath? Well, there are some definite reasons, 19 through 23, reasons for that. The reason, the main one, is God has revealed himself very clearly, clearly evident, real revelation that everyone since the foundation of the world has received. But in general, man suppresses that truth, suppresses revelation and eventually rejects it. And when you reject the truth of God, then God basically leaves you to your own thinking and your own intentions. And that's how you can see 
the rendering of God's wrath in the passage that we'll be looking at today. In fact, we'll be concluding verses 24 through 32, Lord willing. No promises ahead of time. So, the rendering of God's wrath, you can see it. It's present tense. And God gives us in the passage how you can uh, see it all around us. And it's given in three parts. We've been looking at those three parts as we've gone through these passages. Beginning in verse 24, you can see it in the lives of people, even in a physical way, a physical dishonoring of their bodies. That's verses 24 and 25. So we spent a whole Sunday looking at how that can manifest. When God, as the word says there, little verb, the main verb of these three parts, beginning in verse 24, God gave them over or God gave them up to something. And we looked at that word a little bit. And in this context, it's God who is giving mankind over. He doesn't force himself into the lives of individuals. He doesn't force the unbeliever to believe in him. With a few exceptions, maybe you might say Paul almost didn't have a choice when he was laid flat on the ground. But in general, God lets people take their own path. That path usually, well, always leads to destruction in one way or another, sometimes more rapidly, sometimes more drastically, sometimes more painfully. But God lets people go, and that's what the passage is saying. That is a form of the wrath of God, letting people just make their own decisions according to their own thinking, according to their own desires, and that's going to end up ultimately in destroying them even physically. So alcoholics destroy their liver. Drug addicts also destroy different parts of their bodies. Different sins left to themselves will work themselves out in such a way that eventually it destroys even the body. We talked about all kinds of addictions. (laughs) Even the the addictions of vacuuming. Uh, all right. You like that? So anyway, someone put in my name. <laughs> heard that one. So physical dishonoring. We looked a couple of weeks ago at verses twenty-six and twenty-seven. It not only has physical effects in that the body is in fact destroyed in many ways by sin. God allows that to go. Now, there's always hope for people to repent and turn to the Lord and begin to renew, not only physically, but we'll see today even mentally. But there's also moral degradation. God lets people go in terms of the whole moral realm, and he gives the example of homosexuality and lesbianism in verses 26 and 27. That's somewhat the end product of moral degeneration culturally. Now, I tried to stress that it's not necessarily the worst sin that anyone could ever commit, but in terms of a culture, this is where a culture will end up when a culture rejects God as our culture has done. So we have moral degradation as well, 26 and 27. Now, I want to stress again what we want to do is have compassion on them 
just as we would have compassion on anyone. Sin destroys. So also does the sin that involves sexual degeneration as well, or sexual sins also destroy. So real compassion is not rejecting these people in such a way that you have nothing to do with them, but real compassion is reaching out to them and giving them the only solution that can reverse the path that they are on. So real compassion ultimately shares the gospel because that's the only answer. What Jesus has already done and what he can do if a person trusts in him. So we should reach out to that community. And I gave you the example of tenants that I've had. In fact, I didn't mention that uh, one woman, one lesbian tenant, she actually prayed to receive Christ. Now, I don't know the outcome of that because she ended up moving on the East Coast, lost contact. But it gave me opportunities to share the gospel as I loved them. I mentioned that. And spend time with them, lending them money and doing all kinds of things that would be helpful to them as they went on their downward spiral. It gave opportunity to share the gospel. And I had kind of a series of them. I had one that lived there for, I don't know, six, seven years. I treated her so well when she moved. In fact, I helped her buy a house even. When she moved, she said, oh, I've got a good friend that's interested. Lesbian, obviously. She assured me she was a good tenant, etc., Rented to her for about another five years. When she moved out, that was the one that prayed to receive Christ. And another friend, also a lesbian. So I had a string of them for a few years. That's gone away for now. So my mission field of the lesbian community has been interrupted at least. Anyway, we should reach out. The point being is we need to reach out to them just like anyone in any other area of sin. We started looking at verses 28 through 32 last time. Not only has physical effects, God abandons people to their own devices. They have sometimes physical damage. It also, God allows people just to go their own way in terms of moral issues. That also results in moral problems, moral issues. Also, the whole area of the mind as well. God allows unbelievers to, he abandons them to their own devices in terms of thinking, and we can call that mental depravity. That's verses 28 and 32. I also mentioned that that's just one long sentence, several different parts. We only looked at the first part last time. 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over. There's the word. We looked at it last time. I'm not going to concentrate on it now. But you see that three times. It occurs in 24, it occurs in 26, and now again in verse 28. And by the way, what is the main clause of this long sentence beginning in verse 28? might have to look at your Bibles there, all the way to 32. What's the main clause? God gave. God gave them over to a depraved mind, comma. Main clause. And then you have things that modify that and subordinate clauses. This first clause, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, that's a subordinate clause. The main clause, the idea and the subject is God. The verb, God gave them over or gave over. Gave them up, you might even say allowed them to take the path that they choose that ends in ultimate destruction. It also ends in ultimate 
separation, or the Bible calls that hell, or we use that idea uh, biblically, allowing the unbeliever if he never trusts in Jesus Christ. So he just lets mankind go. That is a form of God's wrath being poured out in a present tense sense. So that's what Romans 1 is talking about. So they did not see fit. This is just a reminder of what we saw in the earlier passages. The emphasis of the earlier passages, 19 through 23, is this idea that God has made himself known clearly. And man responds to that by rejecting that revelation. So they did not acknowledge or see fit to acknowledge God any longer. Now God responds by pouring out wrath in a present tense sense. God gave them over to a depraved mind, and there's the object of the verb, if you will. And that's where I get the idea of mental depravity. So it not only has physical effects, not only has moral effects, but verses 28 through the end is going to give us the mental effects. So last time we looked at the source of evil thoughts. Source of evil thoughts, Jesus says, 15, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. In other words, the inward most part of man is where your thinking comes from, your hearts. So all of that, and Jesus makes a close connection here, not only evil thoughts, but the outworking of those in terms of even murder. Murder, adultery, so it results in actions as well. And we see that also in this passage. Adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. I thought everybody's basically good, and, and oh, the evilness been, yeah. is how we were brought in the society that we're brought up in. That's yeah, the world. That's right. what the world tells us exactly, right? right? Yeah, sure. It's not what Paul says. It's not what Jesus says. Good point. So it comes out of the thoughts, or evil thoughts come out of uh, the heart, and it results in outward manifestations of that. And it's interesting that Jesus starts with kind of an extreme, what we would think extreme, but it's just the product of, of, of thinking. But even, even our current society would say, oh, he was into, you know, a certain genre of something. And, you know, he played whatever. And so then they say, well, you know, he just didn't have a proper upbringing. But they don't recognize that yeah. what you fill your heart with. Right. Yeah, another thing that the world tells us, as Craig is mentioning, is if you can just clean up the environment, if you can just clean up the culture, then people will act differently. Well, who's going to clean it up, though? It's got to be people who clean it up. Yep. They're never going to act differently. That's right. The cleaner-uppers. Exactly. So these are the source of evil thoughts. And what we've been saying in this passage, a depraved mind results in evil attitudes and actions. And you see that in the Matthew 15 passage, and you see that here as well. So God gives them up to a depraved mind, and when your mind is depraved, I don't think of it as the end product. In other words, it can be very sophisticated. It can have a PhD after the name. It can be very enlightened in terms of uh, intellectual thinking. It can be at a very high level but it is devoid of spirituality if it's in an unbeliever. And that's what a depraved mind. So even the most educated, even the most sophisticated in thinking 
They do not have a real perspective on reality. It's distorted. Even Germany had a very sophisticated, yes. very cultured environment before World War II. Absolutely. In fact, that was the intellectual center of the world before World War II. There's where all of the intellectuals were, including theologian intellectuals. Exactly. Very good point, Mary Lee. But if you don't have Christ at the focus, your mind is distorted. Every unbelieving person has a distorted thinking process. The Bible talks about us coming into a relationship with Christ, and then we renew our thinking, Ephesians chapter 4. And the only way you renew your thinking is by beginning to absorb the truth, the, the further revelation, the special revelation that God has revealed in his word. And then we can renew our minds and begin to see things from God's perspective, which is reality. Outside of God's perspective is not reality. Terry? So, I'm just trying to categorize it. Obviously, an unbeliever has a distorted view, but their believers also have a distorted view somewhat. They have some truth, but then we're also distorted too. Yes. That's why we need to renew our thinking, because we still have the old nature, the old thinking patterns, the old ideas that are contrary to what the Bible teaches until we begin to renew our thinking, then we have a better perspective on what reality is all about. So a deprived mind results in evil attitudes and actions, and now he's just going to give us a list of them. In other words, it manifests itself in all of these different ways. Not that any one individual displays all of these, but you can see examples in different people in different areas. Some people fall into different traps, if you will. So in verse 28, God gave them over to a depraved mind. That results to do those things which are not proper. In other words, that distorted mind doesn't have a proper perspective on what is right and what is wrong. And most people usually justify the sin that they get themselves involved in, no matter what it is. And you see that blatantly in our culture. So a depraved mind, that's what I mean by this idea here, a depraved mind results in evil attitudes and actions. That's right in the text itself. God gave them already a depraved mind to do actions, to do those things which are not proper. And if you don't have a clue as to what is not proper, then Paul makes sure in verses 29 through 31, he gives a long description, one of the longest description or longest list of sins. There are as a result of a depraved mind, it just works itself out in people's living. And last time we started to look at this list and didn't quite get done, I categorized it into three categories. And I mentioned last week, I didn't have a, I couldn't see any kind of unifying idea that put these into three nice little packages. The best that I've got is the first category. I don't even know if I mentioned it last week. We're kind of general conditions. The next category, more specific conditions. And then a long list of attributes. 
And the Greek text kind of gives you a little hint that you got three different categories. Being filled with, that's a participle. And there's also another word, all. Just the Greek word, all. Uh, what is it? Passe or can't remember what it is. Anyway, it has the idea of all-inclusive. And generally, it's not always absolutely all, but it has the idea of fullness, particularly the verb being filled with all unrighteousness. The unbeliever is characterized by unrighteousness. In other words, there's no righteousness there. It's all unrighteous. We went through these. There's a textual problem. Some manuscripts include another one, the fifth one, immorality. We looked at it, wickedness, greed, and then just general badness, translated evil. Greek word is kakia. So being filled with all, and we have a series. These kind of go all together because they're all in, in the Greek text, they're all in the dative case, kind of giving you the content of what they're filled with. And then you have a little word here, full, and then you have a list of five more, and they're all in the gentative case, kind of the content of what they are full of. We looked at them last week as well. And they're more specific, so these may be general categories. And then the more specific ones, envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Now, I couldn't come up with good categories other than general and specific. Someone suggested, well, this first group probably are the most radical of Democrats. Second group, the, the more moderate Democrats. Third group, the, uh, the rhino Republicans. Well, uh, I don't see any warrant for that in the biblical text, so we'll, we'll reject that one. But anyway, it was somebody's idea, not Linda's. <laughs> well, we can all just look in our own hearts. That's right, exactly. So I don't think it has any political connotation. It was just, they were being facetious with me. But, so we have these groups, and the little clues here, full of, or being filled with, all, and then full of, and then you have a semicolon, and then you have a list of 12 of them. In the Greek text, there's no subject and a verb there, but they're all different from these others. These are all in the dative case. These, The second group are all in the genitive case, and then the rest of these are in the accusative case. So the translators are saying, maybe you should supply, they are these things. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, etc. So you can divide them into three categories. I've got that on your outline sheet there. First one, just quickly, and I don't want to spend too much time. We spent time last time. The one with the participle plus the dative, unrighteousness, people in Wrong standings in terms of God in every area, full of unrighteousness. If you include immorality, that includes all of the sexual sins. In fact, you would include even those in 26 and 27. Wickedness, hostile activity, overt hostility. Greed, we talked about wanting more, more of a white-collar sin. None of you have that one, though, right? Evil, just general Badness. It's interesting that greed is included in these others that are very, very definitely evil. Then we have envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. We looked at them. Full of, plus the genitive, envy. Seeing things in other people that we don't have or what we are not and desiring what they have. 
We talked about murder. Jesus talks about murder begins with anger in the heart. The law not only spoke of murder as the end product. That's just the end product of killing someone. Murder begins, Jesus says, in the heart, and the law included that. Jesus is restoring the intent of the Mosaic law in Matthew chapter 5. So when you think of murder, well, you might say, well, I've never, I've never killed anyone. Well, if you expressed anger in a wrong way to someone, you're a murderer. If looks could kill. That's right. <laughs> if looks could kill. Strife, beating somebody up. Not just physically, but beating them up with words. We can do that. We saw that last time. Deceit, even the white lies, not being totally honest. Deceive one. Malice makes everything worse. A worse condition is made worse with malice. And that brings us to where we left off last time. They are all of these things, and there's 12 of them. They're gossips. Uh-huh. No one does that, right, in this room? Gossips included with malice, deceit, with greed, murder. Wow. Gossips. Well, not only gossips, but slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. And I've just kind of divided them up into two parts here because they don't fit on a slide. So we need two slides to get all 12 of them. <coughs> Literally, these people that just whisper behind people's back, did you hear this? sort of thing. Whisperers, slanderers, where you deliberately paint a picture of someone that is not true in order to cut them down or to make others think less of. What that does is that that destroys reputations. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation, and it only takes a little bit of a slander to undermine all of that. Uh, does anyone see that in the political realm at all? No? No. Blindness is also one of the sins, although it's not listed here, but very evident in the culture. Slanderers, destroying reputations, haters of God, kind of just in general. Uh, you see that manifested in that people don't overtly hate just God, but they pour out that hatred in those that belong to God. Haters of God, that's becoming more prevalent in our culture, where we are becoming the brunt of that hatred. Share the gospel with them, and uh, they're really not mad at you. They're really mad at God himself, and they really hate him. Insolent, insulting others, just bringing words against them that uh, cause them pain, insulting them. Fifthly, arrogant. This is an attitude of, oh, I'm better than you. I've got more than you. I've got more power or I've got a better position or whatever it may be. Arrogant. And as a result, we live that out. These are just examples. And the list is not exhaustive. The list are things that you can see. Do you see this at work? Maybe your boss is arrogant. Maybe, uh, maybe there's even people that you work with that are just kind of above it all and make everyone know that they're above you and everyone else. They've got more education or whatever. It's an attitude, arrogance. You can see this. Uh, You see haters of God. You can see slanders. This is God giving people up to a depraved mind, and that depraved mind produces all of these things. 
Not all of them in one person necessarily, but uh, you can see manifestations of these in different people in different areas as they're inclined, as their minds are twisted in these areas. And people don't think anything of it. In other words, a distorted sense of what is right and what is wrong. Total distortion. Mary Lee. I looked at insolent. Insolent means boldly disrespectful. Boldly disrespectful. Very good. Sixthly, number six, boastful. Now the two are related. One is an attitude and probably the other one is more an overt action. Boastful is probably the product of having an attitude of arrogance. So you have an attitude and an action placed side by side. We also mentioned that once we become a believer, all of these things don't necessarily just automatically disappear. If we were inclined towards arrogance or if we were inclined in our sin nature to insolence or whatever it may be towards anger, that just doesn't evaporate when we trust in Jesus Christ. It doesn't automatically go because we have the sin nature still. Now, we are forgiven and never suffer the eternal consequences for it. And we're given a brand new standing the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. But we need to renew our thinking so that our actions will go along with that renewed mind, with that renewed thinking. And we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is how we can apply these passages. If we have a tendency of being gossipers, which fruit of the Spirit might counteract that? In fact, in the Bible, the Bible encourages us to put off that old nature, Ephesians, Colossians, other places. But you can't just put off certain things. In other words, you can't just say, well, I'm going to just quit doing this. You have to what? Put on. You have to put on or replace it, and you replace it with the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, allow the Spirit not only to renew the mind, but to work within you to change those actions. Does that make sense? Putting on. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Linda. Now, I'm saying since I was about to leave that I was all of those things. All of them. Okay. Wow. Well, I mean, every yeah, I think that's that's the sin. So yeah. then, you are totally when depraved. I get, um, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think we all are. But yeah. Anyway, you get uh, the Holy Spirit is the only thing that can tell you that you're that way. That's right. It's the only because the mind is so deceitful. It just will come with the Holy Spirit can reveal that stuff. Exactly. That's why it's so painful. Is the pursuit of holiness involves seeing what a cesspool you are. Wow. I mean, it does. Very profound, yeah. I mean, it, well, it does. Absolutely, it? yeah. I absolutely. mean, you can't reveal, okay, you say you reveal it yourself, try to fix it yourself, you invent another religion. Exactly. Okay. Very so, good, very good. Preach it, Linda. Preach it. She's going to expand next week. Mm-hmm. Bill Letcher. How do we counteract this idea of gossip? Remember? Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. What's gentleness. Gentleness. I forgot gentleness. Self-compassion. Self-control yeah, might be good or, or the very opposite. In other words, doing harm, maybe doing kindness, but self-control. Yeah, but I never felt like being kind to anybody in my life. You never did? <laughs> no, no. That's not a natural thing. No. To love somebody isn't natural. That's right. I mean, that's why you are out. 
I'm actually dependent on the Holy Spirit to reveal that to me in the situation. And to dig, to see and what, to produce what, it. what is that thing. Mm-hmm. And then to ask God to remove it. I and can't, through, I can't remove it myself. Through the Spirit. The I have nothing spirit. to remove it with. That's right. I've got a depraved mind. What am I going to remove? Yeah, exactly. Very good. She's got insight into how to live the Christian life. Just a strife and God comes back to me. Use the chant. Sticks and stones will break my yeah. Yep. Yep. Try that one. Yep. <laughs> and some of them hurt more deeply than the right. sticks and stones. Speaking the truth in love would be another thing. Yep. We're gossip. So we, right. Do we do it out of love or are we doing it a little nice? I mean, because you can tell, say the truth with a knife. Right, exactly. exactly. And the fruit of the Spirit, I don't think we have an exhaustive list in that Galatians passage as well. So speaking the truth in love, yep, that would be good. Slanders, you could say kindness again, or maybe rather than running someone down, faithfully love them, being faithful to them. But those are fruits. Fruits I, of the Spirit. fruits. Products. It's not something we can produce. So if it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, our job is to pursue holiness. Pursue the and Spirit. And all this stuff will follow. Mm-hmm. I believe it's all a spiritual problem. It's yes. I'm mentally ill. Exactly. It's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. So I can't produce this stuff. I always thought, like, wouldn't I be so nice? You know? But that's not a fruit. That's a self-construct. That comes so out I'm, of the old nature. I'm just trying, full of, of trying to call up these things rather than rely Pursuing holiness and letting the Holy Spirit Exactly. David? It's not on what Linda said. Uh, part of that process would be put on. Part of it, yep. Putting on armor of God. Yep. the arrows of the air. Ephesians 6, exactly. Very good. Haters of God, faithfulness again. Faithfulness to God, counteracting that. Insolent, again. In fact, you, more than one. These are just suggested ones. Trying to think of what contrasts with it. If insolent is bulldog in there too. Love, yeah. Love would go with all of them. Yep. Arrogant, self-control, boastful, self-control. But you could put love in every one of these. Fruit of the Spirit starts with love. So there's the first six. The next six, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, Dot, 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 sentence doesn't end there. We have a semicolon. So it doesn't begin with verse 29. It begins in verse 28, keeps running. These are all in the accusative, and they're all in the plural. Inventors, plural of evil, creatively evil. There's a lot of creative people. In fact, there are some people that are so ingenious in the way they do fraud If they put that same genius to work, they would make millions. But they put their evil genius to work and defraud people. Hmm? And make millions. And make millions, yeah. So creative use of evil, inventors of evil, innovators. You come up with a software to counteract the hacking, and these people are so ingenious, figure out ways around it. Disobedient to parents, we don't have to explain that one. That one's pretty clear, right? Not only do you see it or have seen it, but if you reflect back, what, 80 years ago, you remember it, right? Disobedient to parents, found this on the Internet. I think the decline of child spanking and the rise of disrespect in the middle are totally unrelated. 
like those, huh? Number nine, without understanding, the Bible calls them fools. And you might even go back all the way back to depraved mind, because a depraved mind is one that doesn't have a true picture of reality. So without understanding, you just you can gain more knowledge, but never come to the understanding of truth. Number ten, untrustworthy. Some people, you just can't trust them. You can see that all over. You can see that on the... You've never seen that in your work environment, have you, Steve? Untrustworthy or just simply can't count on them, unreliable. Number 11, unloving. That's pretty clear. The opposite of that is they self-focus. In other words, they only can't see beyond themselves to think in terms of other people. So that's unloving. And then the last one on the list, number 12, unmerciful. They're unavailable if you have a need. They're just not there. And they don't care. You can be dying, but uh doesn't phase them in the least. These are just examples. These are just examples that you can observe in the culture. And in observing them, you can think of them as God has abandoned that individual to these manifestations. And these things destroy They destroy a work environment, they destroy the individual, they destroy relationships, and until a person sees that destruction and is convicted of that sin, God allows it to persist, and with the gospel, people can be turned around. And it's only through the I really think it's dangerous thinking it's all them who have this stuff. Them? Those out there, those, all those, and that we're supposed to look for that in them. That doesn't do any good. You have to give them a way of seeing it themselves. You know, if someone tells me I'm selfish and evil, register. Yeah. Well, but if I could see it for myself by doing some kind of... Well, what people need to come to a realization is... Yeah, what people need to come to is not that this is... They have to overcome this issue because they cannot, but they need to realize that they are separated from God and need a relationship, and it's in that relationship. And that includes the area of homosexuality as well. They need to come to a realization that only God can make that change. In fact, they don't even see a need for it. Exactly. So also with each. That's why he lets you go do it, see what a disaster it becomes. Yeah, disaster that it becomes, exactly. Fruit of the Spirit, inventors of evil, self-control, might be suggestion, disobedient to parents, faithfulness, faithfulness, building faithfulness, without understanding, faithfulness, faithfulness, again, untrustworthy, <coughs> unloving, obviously love, and again, you can use love for all of them, unmerciful, love again, patience, it's on the list, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, you put kindness on all of those as well, fruit of the Spirit. And then the passage concludes with an indictment, which is also part of the sentence. So you have four parts to the sentence. Yeah, the subordinate clause, the failure to acknowledge God, beginning in verse 28. God abandons them to all of these things, to a degradation of a lifestyle. Then we have a description of that degradation that we just finished looking at, 29 through 31, and now... The last part, last clause there is an indictment that God leaves lost humanity to. 
So verse 32, although they know the ordinances of God, notice the and connects it with the preceding part of the sentence. This takes us back also to what he developed, verses 19 through 23. Man has a revelation of God. Part of that revelation is in the whole area of what is right and wrong. That's conscience. Man has a sense of what is right and what is wrong, that there are standards. The ordinances of God, this sometimes refers to the commandments of God. Sometimes it refers to the law. In other words, what God has specified and has made clear concerning right and wrong. So people are not aware of it. They have suppressed it. They have justified it. They've rationalized it such that they think, well, it's either not that bad or it's okay. But they inwardly know it's not okay, even though they've suppressed it and covered it up and replaced it with ideas that it's okay. And that includes the homosexual community. They They feel perfectly satisfied that this is okay. This is the way God made me, you'll hear them say. They've justified it. They've rationalized it. They've suppressed it. But inwardly, they know the ordinances of God. But, right, I mean, everybody, and so they know the ordinance of God, and it doesn't matter if there's a specific thing, then they can get all upset over inequality of of wages for this, or treatment of refugees, or or the fact that as God's representatives here on earth, mistreatment of animals, yeah. you know? I mean, the whole thing flows out, and so you yep. end up, and they think that comes from them, when it's actually God who said, this is how I created everything, this is the way things should work. Right. And, you know, so it doesn't have to be one specific thing, it, it follows the whole genre of all these extremes. Yeah, and, and in An fact, adult shouldn't go onto a, camp, uh, a campus and shoot down children. Yeah. Why not? Because God has said it's wrong. It's not, it doesn't matter if you're an evolutionist. Yeah. No, and, but they get all upset, but God, God has said it. Yep, and that's actually a summary of the rest of the passage here. So they know the ordinances of God. So it's not necessary that we convince people of evil and sin They have an inward sense already. We present the gospel and let the spirit convict them. We don't even have to deal with specific sin. In fact, in my dealings with uh, the lesbians that I told you about, I never raised the issue. They're the ones that usually raise the issue. (laughs) And I kept it in general in terms of all of us being lost and in fact, that one girl, she even, the very word she says, I am so lost. And I agreed with it. We never made the specific sin an issue. That just closes the door. But anyway, they know these things. So we have the term to know is epigenosco. Genosco is to know When you add a preposition to a word in the Greek text, it intensifies it. So epigenosco has the idea of full knowledge. People have a real sense of standards, real sense of right and wrong. We also have the word for ordinances, dikaiama, which is related to dikaiasune, righteousness, So it deals with right standards. 
It stipulates specific stipulations, or it's translated ordinances in uh, New American Standard there. The specific stipulations that the law lays out, those are the two words there. And not only do they know these things, that they also know that those who practice such things are worthy of death. They know there are consequences to sin. They're not only aware of sin, but they know that there are consequences. And the Holy Spirit in the gospel message can bring that up to the surface and convict people. So we need to concentrate on a clear, accurate presentation of the gospel. So they know that those who practice those things are worthy of eternal death, eternal separation. So there's an awareness of eternal judgment in all unbelievers. They may have suppressed that as well. They not only do the same, those are the actions referring to all the things in verses 29 through 31, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Why? Because it soothes their conscience. If others are doing it and you approve of it, then you're really trying to say, well, I want you to approve of my sin. This is kind of the end product of depravity. You're trying to make excuses. And not only that, but where is our culture? Our culture demands that you be tolerant and accept certain sins. So the word there, when you... To agree with or to give approval of is the word there. And I guess in London they had a Pride Week or Gay Pride. London is proud. In other words, London accepts you. It's acceptance, approval of. And the homosexual community demands not only approval, but demands Certain even privileges and rights beyond those that everyone enjoys. So we're well past Romans 1 in the world today. There's another one for Linda. (laughs) Okay, the kid asked that. I'm considering a career in organized crime. And he says, government or a private sector? Very approvingly. Oh, okay, this sounds good. Which one's going to give you the most money? personally would suggest government, they never go to jail. <laughs> yeah. So, Ray, what you're, what you're talking about with homosexuals here in Canada being American law. Oh, we're, they, yeah, they're going to burn this church it. down if they hear what we've just been talking about today yeah. in the last few weeks. The slide that showed that the word for previous to that. That one? Yeah. Sunyudokeo, if I pronounce that right. Hey, Ray, just hold that slide for a minute. To agree with, and even to approve of, which is even more down the road than just simply agreeing with something. Okay, have we become Sodom yet? Does God have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah? It seems that we have passed Sodom in the culture in which we live in, which means the Lord's coming may be very, very soon. Closing thought. We have the only solution for mankind's problem. It's not a solution to any of those individual ones. It's a solution to the bigger problem of sin itself. We have the gospel message. And in that gospel message, 
that is the only way that people can come into not only a saving relationship, but begin to rebuild their lives such that they can overcome these things. And most of us are still in the process of overcoming some of these areas. And it'll go on until we go to be with the Lord. Who wants to close? Tiny. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for now and Jenny's travels, continued safety, and names for people. But, you know, someone actually knows down. So, Father, I pray that you continue to shine for you in each and every. They would be a blessing to their family as they're moving closer to family, forth in this knowledge that we have the only of to fill us. So that we share as we share um, in love and not. Lord, this will be more ways this week and lighten us in situations, situations, and all the relationships. Amen. Amen.